and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and you're listening to the 28th episode of the show. My guest this week is a little different from the usual banished games-associated guests. In fact, this week, my guest doesn't even work in games, although he did work in game once. But he's a huge gamer and has been ever since he was young. My guest this week is, in fact, a musician. He's a guitarist in the incredibly popular pop-punk band Neck Deep. He's toured the world and even written records with some of the largest names in rock, including Blink-182's Mark Hoppus. My guest this week is my friend and guitarist from Neck Deep, Mr. Matt West. Hello, Matt. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very good. How are you doing today? Awesome. Yeah, I'm very excited to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been speaking for a while about this, haven't we? So trying to get you on the show, but you've been busy doing other very important things, such as playing music to thousands of thousands of people around the world. Been a bit busy doing that, yeah, which is still weird that it's around the world and not just at home, so it's crazy, but yeah, <laughs> finally got time off. So. It's very weird, because uh, for background for anyone who potentially might know, obviously Matt plays in the huge pop band band, uh, Neck Deep, but we first met when I used to play in bands back uh, in my old university days, and I met Matt and his mates uh, when we played a gig together when he was in another band called Spires. This is yes. a very long time ago in Chester. Yeah. Chester <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and ever since then, Matt has become an incredibly successful musician, and I have done nothing. So Matt, <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, how about tell us a little bit about Neck Deep and what you've been doing then? Um. Well, yeah, we've just been basically since we started the band. Somehow we just started touring, and I haven't really stopped to be honest. We managed to do two albums, two EPs, and just seen more of the world than I ever thought I would have, really. This year's been pretty like busy. We started off with like our first full world tour, so we did. Uh, we started off in Australia and did uh, Japan straight after, and Southeast Asia, and the UK, and then a full US run, then came home, did a full European run, and then did more UK dates and finished that up. And then we've just been doing like sporadic festival appearances over the summer just taking it a bit chill writing new stuff and then yeah just been keeping busy (laughs) yeah so you currently you were telling me you've got a month off now yes so what is it you've been doing with your month off playing games and nothing but and it will carry (laughs) on for the rest of that month (laughs) so what have you been playing currently then um, at the minute, I'm ashamed to say I've only just started playing uh, Valkyria Chronicles. I skipped on it when it was on PS3 for some reason. And yeah, I'm really, 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 really enjoying it at the minute. I'm not too far into it because okay. it takes the battles take ages, which I didn't <laughs> suss out at first. Some of them are so in-depth. And are. obviously, if you make a mistake at some point, it's kind of like, well, tough now because you can't really go back on yourself and <laughs> correct a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is it the, it's the it's the HD version you're playing as well? Yeah, it's four. Yeah, I I had it on PS3 when it um near when it came out, and for some for some reason I just I think I was playing White Knight Chronicles at the time, and I really 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 enjoyed that game, and I think I'm probably one of the three people in the entire world that did. Panned <laughs> else that I spoke yeah. to about it. Yeah, that was a, cri- a critically panned level five game. I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I loved it so much. I think it, at first it was like, oh, it's like an MMO without the MMO bits. And then I was kind of sat there thinking before, thinking, isn't the best bit about the MMO like genre the bit that where you play with other people? Like, 
why was I enjoying it so much just sat there on my own doing nothing? (laughs) So we've kept in touch mainly not because of music, but um, obviously we have friends who know each other and stuff, but most most of the time you and me talk about games. Yes. And um, sort of back and forth always about games. And we both are huge fans of like JRPGs and stuff like that. And I know you are especially a big fan of JRPGs. Yes. And uh, my bread and butter. I love them. <laughs> and most, if they're terrible. <laughs> and forewarning to anyone who is listening today, most of this list does consist of JRPGs. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah so you huge into JRPGs and stuff like that. And when you're on tour and that kind of thing, are you like able to play games? much uh do you have like yeah. a playstation vita or a 3ds that you take with you everywhere well i had a vita and i basically rinsed all the all, all the rpgs i could get my hands on with it and i ended up just giving it to a friend in the end because he was like he just started uni and he wanted to like commute to work and like back and forth because he was quite far away and i thought oh, i'll, I'll okay. do him a song okay. and i'll just give him my vita so i gave him that but when we're on tour we have um we're, we're lucky enough now to to tour in vehicles that have like bunks and tvs in them so we're not doing it in like a a little old van with three wheels anymore we're doing it in like a a proper a proper big boy tour bus so (laughs) yeah so luckily we can we can actually like live in a bit of comfort so i can take my um my i normally take my ps4 with me just because it's it's not got a huge power brick on the back like the xbox one and obviously when i'm in america as well if i ever want to buy games or anything region free so i can just sling any game in there and play it straight away so i normally just set that up and then just play whilst we're out and about on the road because a lot of the time now we we take a lot of again we're lucky enough to take crew who are basically just our friends that we've employed to do jobs for us so they don't have to <laughs> sit at home and do nothing so they just come with us they basically set the stage up and then all i do every day is just turn up five seconds before we're about to play go on play the set and then just go on with my day so there's a lot of sitting around so it's it's kind of cool that i can fill the time with the with playing games obviously because like i don't know i don't know what i do otherwise it is a bit annoying sometimes though fighting for tv space yeah because a couple of the lads and we only normally have like one telly in there and a couple of the lads in the band are obsessed with fifa and i would rather put my face through a, a glass plate than play that so, <laughs> so well, uh, i was gonna uh, actually ask actually is there like a game that you guys play on the bus together like i was gonna say like mario kart or smash brothers or something but it sounds like it's just fifa oh it's fifa or rocket league rocket league is the one that we're all into okay so yeah that's pretty good that's pretty good oh, mate, you want to see it we've we've developed a gambling system for it as well a gambling, so oh, kind of, please explain explain it's kind of like the bookies so basically like you pick just a person that you think is going to win so it's the basic gambling thing put five pound on him to win or five pound on them to win you watch him go and it, the atmosphere in the room is so tense it's insane <laughs> so you just and we sometimes we do it just with cpu so you can do it on smash brothers as well smash brothers is great for betting on so you stick all the um all the characters to just computer controlled and then you bet on who you think is going to win <laughs> <laughs> so do you, you rope to- like have you roped other bands that you've toured in uh, with into it as well well, we learned the Smash Brothers one off a, a band called Seaway. They showed us that, and it was life-changing. We've done it ever since now, because <laughs> obviously boredom, for some reason, always just leads to, to gambling the little money that we have away. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know why. 
One like one hour, a personal question I wanted to ask you. You toured with a band called One OK Rock. Yes, we and did. They are they're huge here in Japan. Yes, I've been a big fan of One OK Rock for many years now, and I've seen them live in London before I came to Japan. Um, I was wondering if you got to spend much time with them, and did you speak to them about like Japanese RPGs or like were they into video games at all? Well, surprisingly, I we. I'll give you a bit of background on the tour, basically. We've played the tour with them, and in Japan, I mean, I'm sure you can testify how huge they are. They are yeah, insane. They sell out stadiums. Yeah, they're on the radio all the time and everything like that, yeah. In America, they're not as big. They're big, but for some reason on that tour, we were playing after them every night. So they would play, they would open the show, and then we'd play, and it was kind of like, how can you follow that? Like, this is a stadium. <laughs> I can attest to that because I have seen them live, and they are excellent. Yeah, and then you've just got five idiots from North Wales just coming on afterwards, like, (laughs) what do we do now? How do you follow that? (laughs) Yeah, but I got uh, speaking to the drummer Tomo quite a bit, and he is obsessed with, like, manga. He loves it. Yeah. And I didn't didn't expect him, like, I didn't want to just go in and say, like, oh, I love manga or whatever, or I love anime and all this to them, just because, obviously, you don't open with that sometimes. And he noticed, (laughs) like, um, that I had a Gurren Lagann tattoo on my leg. He's like, oh, Gurren Lagann. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. I was like, oh, do you read, like, manga or anything? And then he showed me these photos on his phone. He's got so many, like, volumes of manga, it's insane. (laughs) His favourite one's uh, Hunter x Hunter. Hunter x Hunter is is the best. That's my girlfriend's favourite as well. He was telling me to... I've never seen it. Um, It's excellent. Yeah, he was telling me to watch it, so I, I still haven't got around to it just because I've got a backlog of so many shows at the minute to go through, but I'm going to pick that up at some point, but I'm not too sure about the video game side, but I know that like, he loves like, he loves his comics. Like he loves his manga. He's mad on it. (laughs) That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, So you are here to talk about games then today, which is something you're very excited about. You've yes, obviously you talk about music all day long, but not so much games. Um, you, as I said before, your, your eight games, uh, is very very JRPG heavy. Yeah. And, um, we <laughs> well, we, I recently had Jason from Kotaku on as well, and I was expecting his list to be very JRPG heavy, but it wasn't as heavy as I expected. Mm. Um, but yours, I think, is the is the heaviest so far. Oh wow! I'm very niche then. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. you're a man who likes what he likes. Yeah, and it's just this, basically the same game over and over again, reskinned all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're going to dive right into it then, and we're going to start yeah. talking about your game. So, let's listen to some excellent music from your first game, which is a superb game. So, let's listen to some music and dive straight into it.
So Matt, the first game you've chosen for your deserted island today is an action role-playing game developed by Monolith Soft and published by Nintendo for the Wii. Um, it's a game that's sort of become very hard to get hold of, even though it recently had a 3DS uh well, the new, the new, new 3DS uh, release, which is really weird. It's still only one of the only games that's available for the little DS with the thumbstick uh, as a solo thing. But it's this huge, expensive RPG that was released in 2010 here in Japan, and then a year later in 2011 in the West. And it even wasn't even planned to be released in America until there was a petition for it by JRPG fans for Nintendo to bring it to America. Uh, eventually it did, and it's one of the biggest JRPGs in recent history, receiving almost 10 out of 10s across the board. It's Xenoblade Chronicles. Matt, yeah. why is the first <laughs> game you're taking with you today Xenoblade Chronicles? Because it's the best game ever created by human beings, in my <laughs> honest opinion. I am so in love with the game, it's like ridiculous. I remember going to buy it. I literally didn't i just saw a few videos six months prior to it being released and i thought oh that looks cool and then i because like we said before i used to work in game and i walked into work one day and then they just had it on the side and i had some credit on a store card and i was like oh i'll tell you what fine i'll, I'll give it a go bought it and then oh my god i my head nearly exploded it was insane <laughs> everything about it is just amazing the the soundtrack for one is possibly my favorite score to any video game it is an excellent soundtrack yeah it's amazing i know i keep saying amazing over and over again but it's the only word for me personally that describes the whole thing like in general i don't know i just liked how it did away with a lot of the tropes that you'd normally see in a jrpg so like you can save anywhere you don't have to go to a save point the only place you can't save is in elevators because they're basically loading screens uh and like the the way that there's fast travel everywhere. So say if I wanted to go back to a huge expansive area from the beginning of the game to go and fight some like monster that's like level fifty that yeah. you'll first encounter when you're like level five, and then you run a mile. Yourself. <laughs> and I don't know. I just for, for some reason I think it was a lot to do with the surprise of it that really like caught it caught me off guard because I wasn't ready to like play a JRPG that would like for me like revolutionized everything. Like I feel like everything should like follow that template now where it's like it does away with some of the old things that like just annoy people and once so when you read a review now of some like jrpg games you kind of see like the same things cropping up generic story child with amnesia something like this over and yeah. over and over again okay, and for yeah. me it, it didn't really follow anything like that from the very beginning it just had me hooked and i love the the fact that it was a full british voice cast as well that was amazing yeah yeah that really that really did it for me i don't know i just it's, really, it's, it's amazing that you say this because obviously you are have been a fan of JRPGs for a long time. Yeah. And for then this game to sort of come out of nowhere and take what is like your favorite genre and just like completely flip like head. flip it on its head. Yeah, as you said, yeah. It just felt like a huge breath of fresh air because obviously I play like so many JRPGs, it's like, it's ridiculous. Like I'll just buy any just because like, oh, right. Well, if I don't buy it, they won't make more. Like I feel that like, unless <laughs> someone's out there actively like purchasing these games that yeah. probably nobody in their right mind would play, that like they're not going to make any more. And then you don't get like the odd gem that like crops through. Like I still enjoy playing like most of them, but for me, like Xenoblade is my favorite. I rebought it. When the uh, new 3DS came out, the day it came out, I had scraped 
so many things to trade in just so I could buy it, just so I could have it on the go. So I have that. And then they didn't release the uh, the faceplate because, you know, they did the special Monado faceplate. Really, face really nice uh, mono, like the Monado faceplate. Yeah, the red yes. one. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. The only way they released that in Europe was through a bundle, but obviously I couldn't trade for the bundle online. So I ended up paying through the nose for it online on eBay. I paid like 45 quid for the faceplate, I think. And Ooh. that's the one that's, oh, yeah. But I'm one of them. I had to have it like, I've got everything that they've released for the game. Like I have all the Japanese guides because I've never, they've only printed one in English and it was for the, the sequel, not the original game. But I've got all the Japanese guides. I've got the Monado file. I've got all the pre order posters. They've just never made any figures of it, which they need to sort out and release them. I've got the Shulk Amiibo. It's the only one I was asked about getting. <laughs> yeah, I, I the one. Shulk Amiibo I had, because as people know who listen to the show, I am, I've, I love Amiibo and I, well, actually my sort of, uh, my obsession with them is, is dwindled recently as they have been. You the same, Where, you're in the same boat as me there. The yeah. same thing happened to me. But I was, when they first came out, obsessed right. with getting all of the Smash Brothers ones. And Shulk, because obviously there was this huge, massive issue with like limited stock of Amiibo and all that kind of thing. Um, Shulk was one of the ones that I, it spent me weeks and weeks and weeks trying to get hold of Shulk. And I finally got right. hold of him um, when I first moved to Japan. And there were just like hundreds of him on the shelf. Just hundreds. I really boxed one as well because mine i unboxed mine but i really want a boxed one too but the story about that is me and my friend used to go for store openings just so we could try and like get the amiibos just because we collected them we didn't sell them like we just wanted the actual yeah absolutely yeah yeah and the woman in front of me got the only shulk and i had to beggar in the queue this 35 year old woman who was buying it for a kid because a kid just went over <laughs> and there's me there a hairy 24 year old man basically borderline crying begging <laughs> to let me have this toy and she gave it me in the end <laughs> did you have to give him a bit more than usual or was oh she... no she just gave it me and she let me buy it at the till just because i think i scared her a bit this crazy mank who's come up to her with big beard full of tattoos like give yeah. me that very tiny I figure you can have any of them i had like three in my hand of other ones like you can have all these i just want that one have you not been to japan since the amiibos came out because they're pretty readily available over here oh, they're, they're everywhere i mean i didn't i wanted the uh the shulk that i, I got it originally i wanted to get like the, the the western release of it and then i kept like umming and ahhing but for me when i go to japan i see like the amiibos are everywhere i've been four times in the past two years now to japan and basically every time it's just been like a a mask for me to just go toy shopping <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, it's it's bad. Like I'm looking at my shelf now, the amount of money I've probably spent just on I'm looking at one and it's the the my Gurren Lagan collection. It's terrifying how much money I've spent on it. But for some <laughs> reason when, whenever I land it's like whatever, I'm not going to be able to get it again, but I'll probably be here in 6 months but I'll forget. <laughs> so but going yeah, back I, to Xenoblade Chronicles then. Um, obviously this is a game that came out on the Wii, which, you know, was a huge console, but not known for maybe it's sort of hardcore niche titles. Whereas Xenoblade Chronicle was kind of the hardcore of the hardcore. It was a huge game that took hours and hours, like most JRPGs, but I think even Xenoblade Chronicle sort of pushed the boundaries. This game just goes on forever and it has multiple endings. But, and although uh, a lot of people have played Xenoblade Chronicles, 
I don't think many have got to the end. Uh, I am one of those people who got to the end, and I imagine exactly the same you are as well. The ending of this game as well is incredible. Very, like Very, very good. The it, whole final act, like, it's just like, you th- I've had can we say spoilers just in case? I, th- I think I think spoilers okay if you if you're uh, if you're still playing through Xenoblade Chronicles for maybe your 3ds right now. Um, maybe just just pause it now and skip ahead a little bit. But yeah, yeah, like the fact that the whole like final act, like it's you going against this one guy the whole game. And you think, oh, he's evil him, and then it's just like, oh, it's not even him. It's like nope. what? <laughs> just throws the curveball at you. And for me, like because I was so absorbed in it, I didn't expect it, and it was just like this is. This is crazy. I've been playing for like 60 hours and then there's like another 20 added on to the end. It's just, oh, I loved it. I wanted more and more and more. And then when I thought, oh, when I was settling into the fact that it was like, oh, it's going to end soon, like there's not much left, it throw another curveball at you and you'd be like, yes, I get to play it for 20 more hours. <laughs> it's, it's, one of those games, it's, it's one of those games oh. as well. Like um, I spoke to uh, Joe Scribbles from IGN last week and we spoke about uh, Dragon's Dogma. And it's sort of yeah. this... Oh, great it, game. It sort of follows the same path where you start out as a very... Well, you just, obviously, you start out as Shulk and you're kind of just this boy and you end up inheriting the Monado, which is this incredibly powerful weapon. Um, and as it goes on, it, it gets to the point, and I always sort of love this, and it, you probably do as well because Gurren Lagan is kind of the same. Yes. Where you, you start off very small, but by the end, if you put the time in, by the end of Xenoblade Chronicles, you are talking you're about stop- like universe creation and gods and yeah just it's it's on such a grand scale in in story it's incredible i love it when like people are able to tell a story that is so ridiculously over the top but it still seems a bit like oh like it's well told like you can you can do it where you like you blow it completely out proportion it's like this is just ridiculous (laughs) yeah when it's done skillfully like it is in Xenoblade and like I kind of feel it is with like Gurren Lagann because like that's insane as well but you never kind yeah. of stop and think like this is like completely mental like you're kind of into it by that point yeah I, I don't know I just I, I love the, the grand scale everything in that game even aside from the story and the fact that like it's all about creation and all the stuff in the end it's it's just like just the minute you walk out onto some of the maps on that game is just so ridiculous. big first time you see Gower playing it's just oh my god <laughs> On, and on the Wii, no less, as well, running on that yeah. hardware as well. That's the only downside to the game. I just wish it wasn't made on the Wii in some respects, just because imagine like how amazing it would look like with just some a bit more graphical capability. But the fact that it still looks really, really good anyway on the Wii is, is a testament to like the design of the game, too. Yeah. So then let's, but, before we move on from Xenoblade Chronicles, then, mm-hmm. have you played Xenoblade Chronicles X? Yeah, I finished it. <laughs> I bought it the day it came out. Collectors. <laughs> how how did you find that um, compared uh, to like Xenoblade Chronicles? They are two very mm. different but similar games in, in the in the sense that Xenoblade Chronicles had this excellent story, this epic story where you are Shulk, you are yeah. a character who has a name and a personality, and then to Chronicles X where it you doesn't are have your, a good story at all. <laughs> yeah, it, it it doesn't, and its soundtrack <laughs> is very. Ten- repetitively but metal terribleness and um but still sort of retain that large scale um like the large scale areas and just huge weapons and all that kind of stuff did you did you like it maybe obviously not as much but was it still pretty good for you 
for me, the whole thing about it, I was, saw the trailer first thing, it's like, oh my god, they're making a sequel, this is amazing. And also as well, in the very, very first trailer, they showed Shulk at the end, which kind of annoyed me. They showed his even... face, didn't they? They showed the face. They like showed half his face, yeah. now it's like, it's going to be a sequel, this is going to be sick. And he wasn't even in it. So, the fact that, like, the thing that got me straight away was like, there's mechs, you can pilot mechs. I was like, this is going to be the greatest game ever made. Like, it's going to be better than the first one. And I played it, and I thought the combat was good. I thought the exploration was good. I thought the mechs were cool. I thought the fact that, like, the the the, the flying aspect of it was cool, it added another element to it, and it brings it in at a point in the game where it doesn't feel like it makes the world any smaller because you've already explored a lot of it before yeah. you get the ability and you've to... And you it as well. It takes, it, yeah. takes, it takes a long time to be able yeah. to fly mechs in that game and yeah. it is worth it. In Yeah, but for me, I don't know, like, the story was barely even a story. It was absolutely awful. Like, it was terrible. Like, the first one, it tells the, the tale of, of, like, Shulk and everyone and the Monado so well and then for them to just, like, stick a silent protagonist... In, yeah, in, in the second one, I was like, because I didn't understand, I didn't realize at first that you, your character didn't speak. So for me, turned it on. I was like, oh, maybe he's just like a mute for the first part of the game or something, just from like the trauma or something. And then you <laughs> it. it's like, no, he's definitely not going to speak at all. No, he's just, just your avatar. I, yeah, I didn't feel invested in it, okay. which was weird. But I, th- I feel that I, I still played it through to the end because I, I felt like I had to just because of the first one. But I don't know, like the the mech combat thing aside from, I feel if it had the the mechs and the the combat system in the origin with the story of the original game spot on, it'd be amazing. But I just feel like it was kind of like an unfinished rush product. Like they cared more about the fact that like you could fly and like the combat was a bit different and the customizable yeah. weapons and stuff than they did about the story of the game. Whereas like in the original one, it was more I was playing it for the story. I wasn't playing it to like to grind and like find the best like weapons and like just destroy like all these optional boss monsters. I was just, I felt compelled to like play through the actual main chunk of the game itself. And the side quests were a bonus. Whereas this one just felt like a game of side quests. Just with like a really like that. It felt a little hollow almost like there was no sort of, Xenoblade Chronicle had a lot of charm about it. There wasn't, and there was kind of a soul to the game as well. And you can sort of feel yeah. that even like in Smash Brothers as well with Gower playing and playing as Shulk and that kind of thing. But yeah. whereas Xenoblade Chronicles, you were just sort of running around listening to this terrible soundtrack with none of the characters like talking or anything. It was the really theme really plays when you're in the main city of the game haunts my nightmares. <laughs> oh, it's just so terrible. I remember like, my girlfriend was around when I bought it and I put it on because it wasn't long after it came out, not long after my birthday. And I put it on and I was like, oh, the first game's got such a good soundtrack. And then that awful like <laughs> rap song started playing. She was like, are you sure? Are you feeling all right? I was like, I'm not too sure anymore. I don't know what's what. I'm giving up. <laughs> well, we're going to move on from Xenoblade Chronicles now. Yep. We're going to move on to another huge JRPG, one of the biggest JRPGs of all time, and very much the largest in its series. So let's listen to some excellent music from this next game, and let's talk about a game from Final Fantasy.
the next game on your list, Matt, we're going to talk yep. about it in a minute. Because, first of all, we have to talk about the deserted island that you're trying to All right. Um, all right. So, obviously, you're being whisked off or banished to, however you want to look at it, half glass, <laughs> glass half full kind of thing. But I'm only half empty. <laughs> <laughs> so, we don't want you to be uncomfortable. We want you to be able to play Xenoblade Chronicles and have fun and that kind of thing. But you are trapped in a virtual deserted place where there are no human-like characters or no human NPCs. Um, but if you could be trapped somewhere from the world of gaming, where would you choose? Anywhere in the world. Anywhere well, in, the, in, in the realm of, of video ga- gaming. Mm. Ooh, what a good question. Bearing in Go mind on. that obviously there will be no human-like NPCs. You are on your own. But the yeah. monsters, if there are monsters or enemies, will be there. Golden Saucer, Final Fantasy Sevens. No monsters knocking about there and it looks like a right laugh. That's, that's, a, pretty good, that's a pretty good place. And a yeah. place we haven't had on the show so far either. Truck about racing. You can go and do that every day on your own. There's no one getting in the way. You can just play some games. Yeah, that's no, that's really good. That's a good. Well, I'd have to get good at starting all the rides first and then pegging it onto it really quickly. (laughs) See how that goes. But I think that'd be cool. There's no monsters knocking about. You'd be good. And it perfectly segues into the next game we're going to talk about. Because you didn't even intentionally do that. No, exactly. <laughs> you didn't even intend to do it, but it's the perfect segue into the next game that we're going to talk about that really needs no introduction. It's the game from Square Enix that's one of the largest in the Final Fantasy series. It was produced by Hironobu Sakaguchi and the Square team, released for the PlayStation in 1997. It's Final Fantasy VII. Matt, yeah. why is the second game you're taking to the Golden Saucer of Final Fantasy VII? Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> Just because it's the it was the introduction to what has basically sapped so many hours out of my life, which is the JRPG genre. It's just for me. I don't know. I remember. I remember very, very, very distinctly getting the game because I didn't even buy it. Uh, I remember playing it for the first time as well. Uh, it was my uncle. He bought a PlayStation One and he'd seen like the trailers for Final Fantasy Seven, and he put it on for the first time and he hated it. He didn't understand it. He didn't understand like the battle mechanics or anything. He just didn't enjoy it. Okay. And I played it once at his and then I could, I, I, I got into it. I was really, really young at the time. I didn't really understand what I was doing. Like I was going up against the, the guard scorpion at the end of the, the first uh, reactor run. And just every time his tail was up, just attacking it and getting leathered by it and killed. But for the, I don't know. And then after a while, like I got my own PlayStation and then one day he just came around and gave me the game and he goes, I'm not playing it. You can have it. And I was like, Oh, all right. And then that led me down the deep dark path that I'm on now where it's just literally JRPGs everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. It was just a, it, like, I'm sure you've had plenty and plenty of people on the show before, but for the, I'm, even for yourself, maybe for like our generation, like that was the game that got people into RPGs or JRPGs. It was our first like major introduction to it, and what an insanely good introduction it was! Like you can't really get any better than it. Like I don't know, for me, it, I'd never played anything like it before. There was a story which I really, really enjoyed and got into. It was just like this grand epic that I didn't even know video games could like tell because before that I was just playing games like Crash Bandicoot and stuff, which are great, which are really, really fun. But like, it doesn't really tell a tale. It's not like a story. It's not like watching a film. It's not like 
being part of something. It was just, it's what like Final Fantasy VII felt like to me when I first put it in and like finally like got into playing it. I just, I love it. It's amazing. Have you, like, as you said, it is kind of the defining maybe RPG for our generation, but like maybe people between like 25 to like 35, maybe a little younger. Um, But it was this huge game and it did open up this world of maybe complex gaming systems Obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64 was based around platformers, Mario 64, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, that kind of thing. But then you had this game like Final Fantasy VII, which did involve like, obviously, even your uncle didn't quite get it. No, he and, hated it. <laughs> and But it did open up this huge world of, wow, I need to really think about this. Like, this yeah. is a game where I'm not just like pressing a button to jump up and down. It's like, I need to like think about the attacks I'm using or what I need to do to defend my party and all this sort of thing. And it did open up this, Hey, maybe there's more games like this. Maybe there are ma- yeah. more RPGs. And then like me, like I went back and I played like Final Fantasy six and which is my favorite. Yeah. And then like earlier releases as well. And then I did get into JRPGs a lot in due part because of Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't really have even discovered the genre had that not have been introduced to me at such a young age because straight after that, I mean, arguably one of the best consoles ever created for JRPGs is the PlayStation 1 because there's just so many of them. Like, it's insane. Like, you're talking like you've got Sukoden 1 and 2, if you can get all of a copy of that, good luck to you. But that's an amazing game. If you ever get the chance to play that, definitely do it. I don't know, there's just so many like that, that came out after it. Like Obviously, more Final Fantasy games. 7, 8, and 9, in my eyes, are the best three. And they're on the same console. <laughs> so quick. you very much applied to that school of that sort of the jump to 3D really like... Oh, it was just crazy. Like I, They're my favourite three, obviously. I think it's just because I played them when I was much younger and I've got fond memories of them aside yeah. and being great games because... What can happen a lot of the time is your vision gets a bit clouded the older you get and you remember games being amazing. You go back and play them and they're crap. But so I was actually going to ask you, have you play, gone back and played Final Fantasy VII like, in recent years? Obviously, it's been re-released for like so many PlayStation consoles now. Yeah. I mean, I normally go back and do like a pilgrimage every year and run through it once. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, just because, I don't know, like I just really just enjoy playing it and like, what used to take me like 30 hours takes me like five now or something like from when I was way younger. Like I can get through it quite quickly, but I don't know. I just. That sort, of, just, com- that sort of comforting blanket that you just sort of wrap yeah. around you once a year. Just. Ah. I, never, I never get tired of it. Like, even though I know what's coming, I know all the twists and all the plots and the location of all the material and whatnot. Like I always just feel compelled to just go back and play it like once a year even like i try and do it on a different platform every time just to try and mix up a little bit at least like at the last run through i did was like on ios which was my least favorite because i'm not too mad on touchscreen controls yeah. like yeah yeah but before that was the vita and then i've done it on like my laptop and i had a psp for years which i played it on that as well and like my ps3 and then playstation one and two it's just like i basically played it on every sony console <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what about like the games that surround it then obviously Everyone has these huge fond memories of Final Fantasy VII, but, you know, Final Fantasy VII wasn't the only game uh, no. ba- based around those characters and the storyline. You uh, you had Dirge of Cerberus, which is the yeah. Vincent game for PlayStation 2. You had uh, you said you had a PSP. Did you play Crisis Core at all? Oh, did I ever? Oh, my days, yes. That I is- cried as well. I knew what was coming <laughs> all the way through, and oh, my God, that cutscene. 
<laughs> the ending cutscene. Yes, I absolutely adore that game. It's my favorite it's game even... on PSP. It's amazing. Oh, it's not even the cutscene that's the worst bit. It's the bit before the cutscene where you're fighting. Oh my god! And you know, just it's going to end bad. He can't move his sword. He's just walking around like a sack of shit. He can't move. It's just like, oh, this is heartbreaking. It's horrible. But yeah, for anyone who hasn't played Crisis Call, I do advise like. Maybe going back and playing it is a little unrealistic, although it is a superb game. Um, but definitely watch that final cutscene, especially if you know what happens in the you know the lore of Final Fantasy VII with yeah. Zack and Cloud and all that kind of stuff. Because um, that's the first thing. Because from the beginning, you know what's going to happen at the end of the game if you played the original. Like yeah. you know it's going to happen. And it's yeah, like you do, yeah. Yeah, it's just like you're teetering over the edge of a cliff the whole game, and then it happens, and you get booted off it and fall for force. It's horrible. <laughs> just that antici- the anticipation is always worse than the initial oh. hit of something. Yeah. So you're just sort of wincing all the way as you play. And you get sent flying at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about then, obviously, Square made a, well, Square Enix made a surprise announcement last year, not this year's E3, but last year's E3. Um, that they were remaking Final Fantasy VII completely, not a HD remake or re-release. They were making completely for the next generation consoles, PlayStation 4 and stuff. Um, what were your sort of initial thoughts? And then as more information sort of came out, maybe it's going to be episodic. Well, it is going to be episodic and that kind of thing. How are you sort of feeling about the future of Final Fantasy VII? I'm nervous. Like, I'm very, very excited, obviously, because... I don't know. I feel like I, what they're doing, they're doing the, at least the gameplay aspect of it, they're doing the right way because you can't just reskin it and expect people to go wild on it because the first thing people say is the same game but it's just been reskinned. Like, I like the fact that they're changing it up a bit, they're making it more action combat based, which is for me a huge, huge plus. Like, I feel like I've played through the original one that many times now that like, my memory of that is there. Like, I like playing through it that way. I like playing through it with the active time battles and, like, casting all the spells at the right time and whatnot. Whereas, like, I feel that, like, because they are doing a reboot of it, they kind of need to make it a bit different. And I'm glad they are because, like, I I love, like, action uh, action combat as well, like, in, our, in JRPGs. Like, it's I would almost say, like, it, I favor on that side rather than turn based. I just love the fact that like I like direct control of the character. I love control of the inputs. I like feeling like I'm actually like making some impact on like an enemy when I'm mashing like on X or something. And every yeah. time I push it, like there's a sword strike. I feel I feel more involved in the game like that rather than just picking something from a menu and then watching someone's health bar deplete. I don't like feel that like I'm really taking part in it as much. But the episodic thing is the bit that I'm a bit nervous about more than anything. Like, I feel the combat and the gameplay part of it, that's going to be fine. I just don't know how they're going to do it. Like, how are they going to release it? Like, are they going to do it kind of similar to, like, The Walking Dead did on where they release, like, a chapter every, like, other week or every other month or, like, I don't really know. Like, that's the part I'm a bit, like, ooh, I'm gnawing about. Do you reckon reckon they'll sort of break it up to, like, different parts? Like, you'll get up to, like, a major part in the story and it'll stop and... Because yeah, obviously, think... to an extent, not as much as maybe other JRPGs, but Final Fantasy VII was essentially open world and you could explore yeah. anything, which when you think about an episodic game, that kind of must be limited in some way. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Like, I'm worried they're going to skip out on certain aspects as well, like miss like certain side areas out and it's going to be very... What I don't want it to be is Final Fantasy XIII Corridor Simulator. Okay, like that. yeah. Because like, <laughs> that is... 
my least favourite Final Fantasy of all time. I can't stand it. And I don't know, I, I'm worried that they're going to go down that route where they're, they're thrown in like the Kingdom Hearts-esque combat or the Final Fantasy XV-esque combat and then they're going to throw a curveball by just making you just run from one battle to the next and not really feel as involved in the world. Like I still want to do the silly little things like moving from screen to screen and nothing really happening other than a bit of dialogue. I want that. But I don't want it to just be like I run from one thing to the next. I want it to be branching paths where I can go off and have a little look around a bit. But yeah, I don't I mean, what I want and what we're probably going to get is going to be two completely different things. Cause... Well, currently, no one really knows what anyone's going to get, and it's being yeah. quite a closely guarded secret at the moment about what the game will entail or will involve. Um, yeah, so pretty much all speculation at the moment. The way that I'd like it to work is if you played the Final Fantasy fifteen demo, not the Platinum one, the uh, episode to cast one. Yeah. I'd like it to maybe be split up like that, but with the area a bit bigger. So, like... like once she gets the world map as in like the episode is like the demo so like yeah. it's short and there are a few sort of missions in there but you can also go and explore in a certain yeah. area yeah maybe a bit meatier so they kind of block it off into different parts of the world so yeah. the, when you leave midgar you can go up to say like up to like nibelheim and you can do that but then you can go to everything in between there back so you can still go to calm you can go and have a look around you can have a look around certain areas you can still do different like little side bits and then you can still go to nibbleheim and then explore the map as well as like doing the main story parts that's like, kind of a, that's kind of a good idea because essentially if you take like the planes of episode disc in final fantasy 15 and yeah. then release that as midgar essentially just like big open world with like missions in there like story missions and side quests as well but then also you can sort of just go into the world and fight battles as much as you want although yeah. some people will completely over level and grind the hell out for the next chapter but it kind of gives you you know what you can do in this area sometimes in jrpgs yeah. you might get overloaded with maybe too much information about all of the things you can do at one time mm -hmm. um so maybe breaking it up would be good in that sense that's a really smart way of doing it where you can have one big area here's everything you can do in this episode and then the next episode will be a brand new area but you'll mm. able to jump back to the last area kind of thing and then just they could, releasing areas maybe yeah they could like soft cap it as well so like they could cap the level where when you go into the next episode you get prompts saying you you're over leveled you can carry on leveling for this portion of the demo and doing something so say like the cap is level 40 for episode three or something but then you can carry on leveling in that episode, but it doesn't bear any difference when you go over to the next episode. So you're capped at 40 when you move over, but you can still play that bit and go and do some grinding just for the sake of playing within that one episode. It might be quite cool. Yeah, so there's always a cap in the air. Like for the first episode, maybe you can go up to like level 20, for example. Maybe like kind of like MMO expansion type things, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you can still level over that within the episode is what I'd like to see. So it'll tell you that you can, next episode, you can only be 20 and you will be 20 when you go in. But because you're still playing that area, you can level up to like however much you want. Keep okay. going. Just so you, That's a good idea. More, That's a good idea. Episode. That'd be cool, but I, I doubt that'd happen. <laughs> <Just laughs> well, Fantasy 13. That's what I'm scared of. Well, only time will tell, unfortunately. We don't know yet, but we, <laughs> we've got to survive 15s aftermath first so we'll wait for oh, 15 I'm, see what happens and then we'll get on to sevens i'm pumped for 15 i cannot wait oh exciting well I, I think i don't know what everyone else's opinion is on it at the minute but i am so excited to play it 
we'll see. I'm, <laughs> I'm cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. As Jason from Kentucky said, cautiously optimistic from what I've played so yeah, far. Feel, there are some like performance it. issues with the demos I've played and stuff like that. So I'm still mm-hmm. still nervous. But I do like what I've seen so far. But Yeah, I enjoyed my time with it. So yeah. we'll see. Well, we're going to have to move on to another JRPG now and another title from Square, but of a different series that does feature Final Fantasy characters, but also yes. features Disney characters. Mm-hmm. And it's not an original game. It's a HD remaster. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's talk about it. So Matt, the next game on your list is another JRPG, of course. What surprise! Yeah, surprise! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, so it's another JRPG released by Square Enix. Um, it's a HD remake of the second game in this series. It was released. Well, this version was released in uh, December of 2014 for the PlayStation 3. It's got the most ridiculous name possible: Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix. Of course, it's never snappy, is it? It's convoluted, <laughs> just like the series. <laughs> and this is a successor to Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 remix. And obviously, we're going to see like 2.8 final chapter blah, 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 soon. So, yeah. <laughs> God, the Kingdom Hearts games have the most like just stupidest naming system ever. Um, so- Oh, if you can follow it, I mean, fair play to you because I still love it. I don't really have a clue what's going on anymore, though, with it. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, you have picked Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix, which, for anyone who is listening and doesn't quite know, this is a HD remake of Kingdom Hearts 2. Yes, I'm kind of cheating here as well because it's a remaster of uh, Birth by Sleep from the PSP as well. Yes, it so, also does feature the whole of Birth by Sleep, too. Yeah, so I've cheated because I couldn't decide between the two of them. That is kind of cheating. You've, you've cheated my system. <laughs> You're taking nine <laughs> games instead of eight. This is... Oh. Well, well, it technically it, all comes on one disc, so that's not see, too bad. I've had you. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Birth by Sleep is an incredible game. Um, yeah, it's possibly my favorite in the series. But let's talk about the main game on uh, this disc then. So, Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah. Is this the first time you played it, or had you originally played it back on the PlayStation oh, 2? I- I had been there from the very, very beginning, like okay. from Kingdom Hearts 1, completely hooked on it. Okay. Yeah. Because for me, the very first time I played it, I bought the game not realizing that it was an action RPG. I thought it was just like a turn-based one. I thought, oh, it's got some Final Fantasy characters in it, some Disney characters, whatever. We'll give it a go. Turned it on, started playing it. I was like, this is in- insane. This is so good. 
And then, I, I don't know, I got hooked. I played the first one for so many hours, did all the 101 Dalmatians, found them all, did all the side quests, did all the optional bosses, even though some of them were solid, like Sephiroth and the Coliseum, and you got that fella, I can't remember his name, the fella in Agrabar as well, out in the desert. He's a nightmare. Jafar. Um, no, it's not him. It's like an optional boss at the very, very, very oh, end. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you mean, yeah. And you have to get the magic carpet out to go and fight him, but, oh, my God, he's solid. I did him, and then, yeah, I just got completely hooked on it, and then I... Obviously, at the end of the first one, there's the trailer for the second, and then it's like, what's going on here? I haven't got a clue what's happening. And then I was on all the forums, all the Kingdom Hearts forums. I used to log on to kh2.co.uk and KH Insider every day after school, just looking like, what's happening? When's, when's the series <laughs> going to go forward? Like, who's this fella in the hood? What's going on? And then the second one came out. I got it. I remember I got it for Christmas, and I sat there for four days straight, didn't leave the conservatory where at my mum and dad's house. I slept in there, and I'd just get up first thing in the morning and absolutely rinse Kingdom Hearts 2. I loved it. Because <laughs> so, at the time as well, when I was playing it, like you could still follow the story really easily. Like you kind of like there were curveballs here and there, but it's like, oh, right, that makes sense. Because I played I played a Chain of Memories as well on Game Boy Advance in between the two. So I kind of understood bits of it. Yeah. As much as I could. And then obviously what I'd normally do as well is after I'd finish it, I'd just go on Google to make sure I hadn't missed anything insane. And I don't know, I just, I, it really, really like resonated with me. Just the, the, the age I was at and everything. I just thought the storyline was great. Just about like trusting in your friends and everything. That sounds really like corny, but I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, I loved it. The very tropey JRPG, believe in me, I'll believe in you. We're best yeah. friends. Our bond is stronger than anything type. Yeah type idea I don't, yeah. I don't know why it resonated more with me than any other one that i've ever played like i think i don't know i just think that the, the fact that again i like surprises when i play a game so it's the same as xenoblade so when i turn it on and i find out that it's not actually like a turn-based game that i thought it would be it's kind of like this action game that's got like rpg elements to it and this really like what seems like a really like small beginnings into this huge grand story involving so many different characters like I just got completely absorbed into it. I loved it. I still love it now, even for that matter. So, yeah, well, you do because you've recently played through it in this HD uh, remix as well that has the second game, the Final Mix remix, which is another remake of the second game and also Birth My Sleep and uh, it's Recoded, which is the DS game and it had all the the cinematics and stuff like that as well. Um, But why specifically are you taking Kingdom Hearts 2 then over Kingdom Hearts 1? I feel that when I played Kingdom Hearts 1, it was great, but once you've played 2 and with the improved battle mechanics and the improved leveling system and all the new abilities, it's kind of difficult to go back to the first one and enjoy it as much just because it feels like a bit more sluggish. It feels it's not aged as well as the second one as I don't feel. Because when you go and play the first one, it's like your combos are basically like most of the time limited to three strikes. And it's a lot of like casting magic. But in the second one, like it's more about, I didn't even really use the magic in the second one. I just used a lot of the attack chains and it felt more responsive, the battling. So like the counter system was better. And then you had all like the uh, moves that you could learn through your limit forms, which made you like you could do the, the warp dash and you could do like the glide and stuff. You had the glide in the first game, but it wasn't really that useful in combat. Whereas like it felt like as well as your dodge rolls and stuff in the second one, yeah. it felt as if you were a bit more involved and you could counter certain situations by using certain moves a lot better. And I don't know, I feel like it's just aged better than the first. I still love the first one to death. Like I, it's an amazing game, but like I, if I was to play one repeatedly over and over again for the rest of my life on a desert island, it would be number two. By far. 
So speaking of then playing one over and over again, obviously you've cheated the system and you are taking a HD remaster that features two games on it, including Birth by Sleep. If you had to choose between uh, the HD remix for number two and Birth by Sleep, and you could only have one of those two, which one would you take? I feel... Mm, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go with... I'm gonna go with uh, with two, just because I, I, I invested a lot of time into that, and it's one of those ones that like I can play it over and over again. Even though personally, I think the best battle system in any Kingdom Hearts game is in Birth by Sleep by far. Like I love the battle system in that. I love the way that you can meld commands together, and it's kind of experimental, so you never really know what you're going to end up with, and you could end up with like just another version of an attack you already have, or some insane finisher that you can destroy everything on screen with. But I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with two. Yeah, okay, well, you'll be taking yeah. two with you. But I'll allow you to take this remaster. It does come on one disc as yeah. a retail box <laughs> copy, which technically abides by the rules. So okay. you're okay. I'm not breaking any laws. <laughs> <laughs> breaking the laws of the Golden Sorcerer Island, of course. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to move on now to a game I don't really know about, but it's not a JRPG. It's a role-playing game. It's an RPG. It's a Western RPG. <laughs> it's a West, yes, it's a Western RPG instead of a JRPG. It's still an RPG, of course. <laughs> so we're going to listen to some music from this next game, and we're going to talk about it. So the next game on your list, Matt, is a game I don't really know about. Um, it has spawned into having spin-offs that have become extremely popular recently. The Divinity yeah. series, uh, Divinity Original Sin, and uh, the next game, the sequel that's going to come out for it as well. Um, it's a Western RPG that released for the PC back in 2002 and developed by Larian Studios. It's a game called Divine Divinity. Yes. <laughs> what is this game all about, and uh, why are you it's, taking it with you? It's another weird thing. It's another one where I just stumbled across it by mistake. It's basically a top-down, isometric, open-world RPG in the vein of something similar to Diablo. So the combat's similar to, Di- to Diablo, but I don't know. What got me was... I bought, basically, I bought it for a 5 Do you remember those crap old PC discs you used to get, the explosive ones with a really bad cover art on it? Oh, yeah, yeah, because I'm, lo- I'm actually looking at the cover art of this game right now. And it's it has, terrible. It has, like, an angel with, like, 
her like cleavage is showing and she's wearing like yeah. black boots and she has yeah. angel wings and she's just got yeah it's really crap it's, <laughs> yeah, it's very very bad but then imagine that with like fire around it with a, a border of fire with explosive up the side and a terrible font <laughs> with a big five pound sticker on it that's where i first saw it <laughs> i just looked at the back and i thought like oh this looks cool i've never really like i, I just like finished playing like I think it was Final Fantasy VII for about the 18th time. And I thought, oh, well, whatever. It looks a bit fantasy-based. Let's give it a go. And then I got it the day that I got my first PC, like my first personal one, not the one that my family owned. So I thought, oh, I'll buy a game to play on it. And it just, I'd never played anything like it before. I'd never played Diablo up to that point. So I, I'd never really experienced like an open world, like an isometric game, which yeah. is basically just all loot-based. And for me, that was great because it just felt like I was like gaining something every like time I played. Like I th- I'd find a new piece of equipment, I'd equip it. And the the best thing about the the whole game, looking back on it now, is like it's all fully like voice acted. Like every MP- most NPCs that you speak to in the game are like voice acted, which is kind of like a big feat for the year that it came out because the map that the game is based on is massive. It's huge, and the amount of side quests are insane. Like I don't even think I ever made any headway when I was younger on the actual um actual main quest itself. Like I just used to like exploring, finding all these weird things. Like you just stumble into a graveyard and then an undead wizard would appear out of nowhere and you'd have to fight him <laughs> all his And it was just like it was ruthless. The game was solid. Like yeah. the the difficulty curve on it is ridiculous. Even like for, for me at the age that I would have been when I played it, it was just like you just walk into like what seemed to be like a nice tavern and a huge bar brawl would break out and you'd die and then you'd have to reload a save from like three hours ago or something. You forgot to like save like before you'd entered or something like that. But I don't know, like it really connected with me. It was the it was the chase for loot that got me at first because even though I wasn't like playing any of the actual story or anything, I still felt invested in the world and I still felt like I wasn't really doing anything, but I felt like my character was becoming stronger just by finding all this like gear lying around. And the fact that like it was open world as well. So I didn't have to, it it might even be like the first like true, like fully open world game that I played because Final Fantasy seven is to some respect, but there's not a lot within the openness that you can really fill with it is that it's like, there's like a lot of set things you can do, but the side quests on this, like every time you walked up like a street or like down a path, it felt like you were finding something new and then you were like, I don't know, just you just, it felt like you were involved in the world and it, it was like a living, breathing thing. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced that with a game. And it was all for a fiver, which wasn't too bad to be fair. <laughs> well, exactly. For a fiver to then end up being a game that you're taking with you to a deserted island. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, I still go back and like revisit it all the time as well. Just like, cause, and for me, it's not even a nostalgia thing. Like, it was originally when I rebought it, but going back and playing it, like it's actually a good game. Like it's not just my vision of me being a child, like or like. No, you 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 are absolutely right. Although it was inspired by like Ultima and Diablo, which were like yeah. the top hitters of like action RPGs, this is a game that received like nines and eights uh, from most game publications on its release. Yeah. Obviously, then spawned like more games in the Divinity series, including the you know, the the ones we are seeing now that have come out for the, like, the PlayStation 4, the PlayStation 3 and all that, that have been, like, exceptionally well-received. Yeah, I mean, I, I will be honest with you, the only one I've ever played is Divine Divinity. I've never played any of the other ones because they did, they did a direct sequel to it called Beyond Divinity on PC, which is in a similar ilk. It was, like, an isometric top-down, and I never played it. I only have played the original. I've never picked up any of the others, so I might try and do that at some point, especially you- the... 
Divinity perhaps, be amazing. Did you perhaps go and like play Diablo or any game similar to it? Diablo 2 I went and played, and then because it had the online element, that was me gone hooked completely. Never often. <laughs> me and my mates were always... We had that, uh, you know, the hero editor as well, so you could just take this massive grok online and just absolutely be completely overpowered the second you went on there. I loved it. <laughs> I love cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you're well-known, like, you're known for playing a lot of JRPGs and that kind of thing. Um is action RPGs a big thing for you? Not like I'm talking like Final Fantasy 15, but I mean more like Western, like, Skyrim, uh, like Western, Witcher. yeah, like kind of like Skyrim or the Elder Scrolls games, or you know, um, we've seen recently like Pillars of Eternity or all those sort of Western RPGs. Do you play a lot of Western RPGs as well, or mainly just sort of Diab- stick? I play a lot of Diablo three, and I have done since the game the day released. I'm talking to you now, and I've got Diablo three mouse pad on my desk. So, for some reason everyone panned it when it came out and i was the guy that was sat there thinking this is good this is a good basis for what they're going to do with it it's blizzard i trust it and now you play it's a completely different game to the one that launched and it's amazing the season mode's cool on it so you can like take a character throughout the season and earn unique rewards and unique weapons and i don't know i just really really enjoyed it but i play diablo 3 more than i do any others at the moment just because and it's only when i'm home just because I don't really have the space whilst I'm away to set up my laptop and find secure enough internet connection, internet connection to play it. So it's just easier for me to do it on a console. So, so I haven't actually played Diablo 3 on PS4, though, which is meant to be amazing. Yeah, it's a really good version. But why specifically then, like, if you're playing Diablo 3 all the time right now and action top role-playing and, like, uh, going forward, being on a deserted island, uh, you know, you, you're thinking of a game that you have to play over and over again or... It has to last maybe, you know, a certain amount of X number of years over like, why are you not taking that over like a game like Divine Divinity, which you might have fond memories of, but ultimately will end after a certain point. No internet connection on a desert island. You need it for Diablo 3. Well, on this deserted island, you can actually have. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Let's see. I don't know. (laughs) For me, Divine Divinity is just like, it's a, it's a, huge meaty single player game and i don't think i'd ever finish it like fully like with doing all the side quests and stuff whereas like diablo 3 i feel it's very cookie cutter apart from the fact that like there's the online season mode thing i just think i'd I feel like i'd have more fun with the divine divinity game even though i don't play it as much now it's just because i've got friends that play diablo 3 so we just play together on that that's the main reason i'm on it quite a oh, bit. okay so maybe like <laughs> finally conquering that thing that you couldn't do as a yeah. kid and finishing it's the single player and all that sort of stuff yeah like and i mean like fully rinsing it like finishing it completely like all the side quests everything so <laughs> that, that'd be my task number one when i'd get stranded on a desert island excellent well we're going to move on to your next game now and it's uh it's not a JRPG as such. It's a game from Japan, but very inspired by Western elements. And it's a game that's featured on this li- uh, on this show before and is loved by many. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's talk about it.
So now we're going into the latter half of your list now, Matt. And the next game you've chosen is a game that was developed by Team Ico, and it was published by Sony Computer Entertainment. It was directed by the excellent Fumito Ueda, and it released for the PlayStation 2 in October of 2005. It's a game that made everyone very sad and mm-hmm. features a protagonist who sort of delves and falls ever lower into evil's clutches for the one he loves. It's the game Shadow of the Colossus. Matt, mm. why are you taking Shadow of the Colossus with you? There's no game like it, is there? It's just instantly replayable the second you finish it. I don't know. Like, I, It was one of those, again, that I I skipped on originally when it first came out. I didn't have a PlayStation 2 for years. I was a GameCube guy, so... Okay. I'd, yeah, I only I, I never had the chance to play it, really. I played a demo of it in HMV years ago, and it's kind of not really enough to get you into it or to like it's just like if you just sat there for five minutes like i'm just running around a field here i don't know what i'm meant to be doing but once i i bought it i when i worked in game i bought ps2 just to play ps2 games because i missed out on loads of the classics yeah so i um bought it and then a, a a colleague of mine who's still really good friends with me a girl called bex she um recommended that i pick up um shadow of the colossus and i was like oh i've heard of it i played it a little bit before but isn't it really expensive? And she's like, oh, I've got a copy that you can have at home because I've got a few copies. I buy one every time it comes into work. I was like, oh, fair enough. <laughs> so um, so she, she brought it in for me. I played it and I was instantly hooked. It's just such a strange experience for a video game. It's like hardly a word spoken throughout the whole thing, yet it's like one of the most emotional roller coaster rides you could probably ever go on as in, in a game. It's crazy. Like the the way you get attached to things like aggro the horse, it's like any other game, it's just a horse, but this, like it feels like a character. It feels like it's got a personality. Like it's scared to go certain places. It doesn't like doing certain things. And it's like, it seems to be the only companion you have in the whole world whilst you're going around slaying what is found out to be a load of innocent beasts. And you're the actual monster and not them. It's just such a, a well thought out and great game. And the gameplay mechanics themselves are, are awesome. I love the, just the grand scale of everything. And like, I played through it first, like completely off my own back. Like I didn't want to, if I was stuck on something, I didn't want to be the guy that goes online and goes like, Oh, colossal Colossus number eight. Like how do you de- defeat him? Like I wanted to go through and like figure it out on my own. And it's, it's basically just like an action puzzle game when it comes down to it. Really? Yeah. A lot of it. It is the, uh, I've spoken about this a little bit before, but the Colossi are kind of like their own levels. In a yeah. way, like they require you to uh, think a bit like solve puzzles as to climb them and you have to sort of navigate your way around them. They're treacherous. And then you, at the end, have to sort of defeat this big boss, which is the Colossi itself. And they are kind of like they're just own very big levels. It's just a testament to the game design. Like imagine someone asking you now to draw a character for a game and then they go, now turn that character into a level. It's like, pardon? what that doesn't make any sense like <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know i wouldn't know where to begin like i don't know i just for me i'd never played a game like it when i'd first put it in the machine and it was just such again a breath of fresh air like this is something that i've never experienced before and i don't know like i think the character design had me as well like i'm just a fan of anything that's huge like on screen like like i love max max and my my vice they are the thing that like <laughs> I have up on posters on my wall. I have like hundreds of like mech toys. It's just like, 
And then to see something like it kind of felt like an organic mech when you were playing it. Like it's this huge, huge monster, but it feels natural at the same time. It was great. I can sort of see where you're coming from in that sort of organic mech feel. They are like, a although lot of, like some of the earlier ones, like not the ball, obviously, because that just looks like a ball, but some of the huge ones, it's kind of like, this kind of feels like something that's been born from the earth. But then at the same time, like some of like the parts, the body design, it kind of feels a bit like robotic, like the way that it's like placed onto the character model and stuff. It was great. <laughs> and, Oh God, I'm just getting sad thinking about it all over again now. Having That's horrible, isn't it? Every time. I, I just, just feel... I, I love animals as well. So the idea of hurting animals really gets to me. But And the thought of like stabbing Colossi in the top of the head, like right in the skull. It's always yeah. such a sad, sad feeling. It's horrible because like, you don't really think of it at the start. It's like, oh, they must be evil. Like the, yeah, and things. that's it's like... like it's a good example of like game psychology as well. And like yeah. how as players, you automatically think in certain ways because games have always taught you that you're the hero, they're the enemy. And you yeah. don't really, yeah. uh, well, you don't really read into it or think about it any more than that. You just sort of do what the game tells you to do. And, uh, yeah. in, and this is a great example of it. As you said, you just sort of don't really think about it and you just go straight in and start attacking them because you've been told to do so. Yeah, it's, it's the first game that I think I ever played where at the end I felt like, I feel awful. Like, I play games as like an escape most of the time to just like, just distract myself from like problems that are actually going on or like just, just to chill out. And it's like, I feel terrible. Like, I've gone through this whole game destroying like basically nearly all the wildlife in this world, absolutely <laughs> eradicating it. And now I'm, and now I'm dead. And it's like, what? This is crazy. I'd never, I'd never had like an experience with a game like that before. Like you were saying, like where you, you always automatically feel like you are the, the big boss, like you're the, you're the fella in charge, or you, you're in control of the world, and like you're doing good. But like that game, just like halfway through, you start thinking like something not right here. This isn't, this isn't how it should be. And then at the end, it's just like I am a prick. I am horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, obviously, for me, to Oedo's games are sort of known for being these sort of uh, almost artistic types of games. Not like we have now with games like maybe like Firewatch or like Gone Home, the sort of walking simulator type games that are considered to be like art as well as being games at the same time. But yeah. Oedo's games are like good examples of games as art, just spectacular pieces of grand scale like mythological creatures and just huge beasts and everything like that. Did you go back and like check out like Ico? Uh, and obviously we got the last guardian coming finally yeah. at the end of this year. Mm -hmm. I did go back and check out Ico. And for some reason I didn't connect with it as much as I did with shadow of the Colossus. I, the only time I played it, I didn't manage to track down a copy for a decent price on the PS2. So I waited until the HD collection came out. And because Shadow of the Colossus was on the same disc, I think it kind of just, I didn't care about Ico at the time. It's, it's one of those ones that I keep meaning to go back to and play him because everyone speaks of it in such high regard. And on paper, I should love it because of Shadow of the Colossus because it's like similar in themes and there's meant to be like a link between the two games and everything. But I don't know, like for, for me, like I didn't really, I didn't really connect with it as much as I did with 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 uh, Shadow for some reason. I just I, I love that game. I'd rather just play through Shadow of the Colossus again, personally, for me. 
But then again, <laughs> it's one of those where I don't really think I've given it much of a chance. And I think it's just because at the time I was so obsessed with Shadow of the Colossus and I wanted to see it in HD so badly. And then I just threw it in and played it like two or three times through. And then I ended up just putting it on the shelf and I've never really picked it back up again, unfortunately. So then skip forward now to finally, obviously, and this is amazing. We are talking about Shadow of the Colossus and we are talking about it in the time that you sort of played it late. And at the same time as you were playing it, thinking back now, The Last Guardian was probably in some form of development because it's oh, been yeah. so long. Um, development hell, I believe is the term. Yes, development <laughs> hell indeed. So yeah. going on the back of Shadow of the Colossus, we have The Last Guardian. And it does seem to be a bit more like maybe of almost a, a sort of mesh of Ico and Shadow of the Colossus. You have this big beast. Yeah. And then, you know, this small boy who has a companion. Maybe it'll be a bit more like Wanda and Agro than it was uh, Aiko and the girl. Um, yeah. Are you excited for The Last Guardian? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm just excited for the fact that he's, like you were saying, he's, it's just another game by such a, a great director that, like, I don't feel that, like, it will be bad. Like, I feel it will be good just because I don't believe he can put out a bad game because he hasn't so far. So... I don't know. Like, I'd, at the same time, like you were saying before about Final Fantasy, I'm like cautiously optimistic about it. Like, I'd, I want to be very, very excited. But until I see it in my hand and I've got it, the disc in the console, I'm just, I'm trying to just restrain myself a bit because again, it's one of those games that's been like in development for what seems for forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, I got announced when I was in high school. How insane <laughs> is that? It's the same as Final Fantasy 15. I was saying this the other day. Like, I can remember the day it got announced. Like. We just done a, we just uh, done our GCSEs. And we we're at our mates' house having a drink, and I remember they were all getting leathered, and I was sat on the floor watching E3 come through, and that was over ten years ago. That's crazy. <laughs> God, time flies, and now you're making me feel old. <laughs> but we are going to talk about your next game then, which involves more giant monsters. It's a running theme. A running theme. <laughs> giant monsters, yeah. Um, so this game is going to feature giant monsters, but this time you are meant to kill them and you're not mm -hmm. meant to feel bad about it at all. So we're going to jump into the next game after listening to some wonderful music. game on your list matt is a surprising one i think to people who might be listening who know about this series um this series is featured in quite a few of the most recent episodes because uh we had gaijin hunter who is mr monster hunter himself 
Um, we had Joe Scribbles last week who was talking about Monster 4 Ultimate. And we recently spoke about Monster Hunter Generations, which is a brand new one as well. Um, you've not gone for either of those games, either of the no. two popular no. games in that series. I've in probably fact, gone for the least popular, to be fair. Yes, you've gone for the one before Monster Hunter 4. Yeah. And I assume it's the Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate version. Yes. For the Wii U and the 3DS. Mm-hmm. And because before that, it was released on the Wii as Monster Hunter Try. Uh, just yeah. a few years prior. Um, this game was a lot more water-based than the others, and that's all, of course, a little bit of gripes with some players. It is an entry in the Monster Hunter series developed by Capcom Production Studios and published by Capcom. It released originally in 2009, and then the version that Matt has chosen, the Ultimate version, was released in 2012. Oh, well, 2013 for us in the West. And, yeah. So, first of all, Matt, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate. Was it the Wii U version you played or the 3DS version? Both. Both? Okay. The reason it was both is I ended up getting a Wii U and then I played it that much on the Wii U that I went out and bought a 3DS to play it on the go because you could do cross-save. <laughs> I adored it so much. I loved being able to sit at home, playing it in full HD with a big controller. I felt like I was this big master hunter just destroying everything. And then if I wanted to take it out and like about, if I was going somewhere, I could just do the cross save and have it on my 3DS. I love the fact that you could do that with it. I, I, I just, I don't know, like obviously the portability of like the more recent games is great, but I love being able to play on a huge screen, right? And seeing like the grand scale of everything, like, and seeing how big the monsters actually are because they're massive, they're huge. I don't know, I don't, Three. That's the reason I've, I've picked three. I think more than any of the others. Like four, like gameplay wise, is very. There's no water combat because the water combat in the game is dreadful. Like it's yeah, the worst. Yeah, that was part. one of like the. That was like one of the biggest gripes most people had with oh. uh, Monster Hunter Three. Yeah, and I think as well, what I really liked about three is if you were playing it on the Wii U, it was the first time you could ever uh, play it online with other people, and it was like it wasn't like. It didn't have to be local. It was just completely matchmaking online, which I loved, like because it meant that some of the times, like, because I'm not very good at Monster Hunter. I love playing <laughs> it, but I'm really not the best at it. So I like the fact that you could get some of the bosses and stuff, some of the monsters that you were normally struggle on, you could call for help. And then what I enjoyed about doing the online thing is like I liked organically learning how to tackle certain things. So you'd watch like two players that were obviously a lot more skilled than you were, but you'd pick up on what they were doing with the monsters and how they were reading the moves and like how they'd like kind of trap them or bait them. And then you'd learn the attack patterns and how to counter it straight away from watching someone else play it. And I just really, really enjoyed like being in the midst of it as well. So rather than just being disconnected, sat on YouTube, I could kind of jump in halfway through the fight after I'd learn on how to like tackle certain things and certain parts and like where to aim for, where its weak points were, what points to cut off, to get certain parts of armor. I just, I don't know. I really like enjoyed the online element of it. And I'd liked playing it sat down in front of a TV rather than portably on the go for some strange reason. I feel that like the controller just fit better in my hands than playing it on like a 3DS or something. It felt comfier because some of the hunts can be quite long. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I found recently speaking of sort of playing on the 3DS, although I absolutely adore the 3DS and I really am such an advocate of that console. I've been playing Monster Hunter Generations on my 3DS and because in Japan, as I was moaning effortlessly to Matt before and have done on the show, Japan is very, very hot. And uh, in the mm-hmm. summer right now, it's constantly at very high temperatures. When I'm trying to play my 3DS and I'm fighting a monster for, say, 15 to half an hour, like, it, 
it gets hot and sweaty and the like analog nubs on the 3ds start slipping you're having to like wipe the console with your t-shirt and then a monster like takes you out and it can be quite troublesome and that's just me some people might not find that but the idea of playing on a big console i can see is extremely appealing yeah i I just like the fact that like and also as well if i did want to do something what i'd use the um because monster hunter 3 you can instantly like leave the village that you're based in you can go and hunt for materials in different areas just like free roam it's not part of a quest it's not like a collecting quest where you have a time limit you can just go out and do whatever as long as your supplies last and what i like doing was like i'd go and hunt for the supplies and stuff whilst i was on the go with the portable version of it rather than actually like sitting at home and grinding it felt like if i was just on a bus journey oh i'll go and like collect materials yeah. for 20 minutes or stick some stuff in the farm for x amount of time or like oh you <laughs> need like five like jaggy skins or something it's like oh i'll go and do that while i'm out and when i'm at home i can actually like go and like after some like big game basically like some some big monsters and actually like try and like tackle some of the harder things while I'm at home whereas like it was kind of like it was more of like i used it more for farming than i did for actually fighting monsters on yeah. 3d that's a really good system. Like when you're obviously got time to kill or yeah, and you're like commuting or you're on a bus, you know, grind, maybe don't take on some monsters, maybe take on some little monsters and get some like, like bones and stuff that you need for like crafting armor and that kind of stuff. Um, and then when you get home using, you know, a better control system, uh, to fight like the bigger monsters, but specifically like then monster hunter three as a game, obviously yes. it was on the TV and stuff like that. It was kind of, it was well received, maybe not as well as like how good Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate and Generations have been received. Um, but that yeah. was definitely the stepping stone between the maybe the more complicated and, and harder to control Monster Hunter games that were on like the PSP and that sort of yeah. thing to then where we are at now where Monster Hunter 4 is considered one of the, you know, the best in the series, very accessible and that kind of thing. But specifically, what was it about? monster hunter 3 as a game that made it that good i think it was the controls more than anything because like you were just saying about how it was fiddly on the psp previously um i used to play it on the psp i started off with monster hunter freedom the very first one yeah didn't really get into it just because of the controls and i tried monster hunter freedom 2 didn't really get it and i got freedom unite and i stuck with it for a long time. And that, was, I, that was my first. That was my first. Yeah. I, I got the first two on a recommendation of someone at work. And they were just like, yeah, try this. You might like it. I was like, all right, cool. And then, because you're just thrown into it, like, you don't know what you're doing when you start off. And <laughs> Not really, no. It's like, oh, you're in a field with these massive monsters. It's like, what the hell am I doing? Because the most important part is choosing your weapon and choosing what you're going to play as a lot of the time and choosing your play style. Long sword for life. But, um, the uh, the thing that got me was like when you used to play on the PSP, you used to have to develop the Monster Hunter claw, and you'd end up looking like one of the monsters from the game because you had to grip kind of <laughs> the left side of the controller, use your thumb to move your character around, and then use your first finger yeah. to navigate to, the camera. And it was yeah so to move cool. the D pad left and right. It was a horrible yeah, system. Yeah, a nightmare. It was just impossible. And while this is going on, and you're breaking your fingers trying to turn the camera around, so you've got some massive young cuckoo coming right near you about to chop your head off. It's just like, it doesn't really work. And then the fact that it just felt so natural on Monster Hunter 3. And I think it was the the reason I picked 3 as well. It's my favourite monsters in it, regardless of fighting the monster or not. Like, the, fighting the monster fucking sucks because it's underwater. But the Chris, I love that. I love the design of that, that monster so much. It was just the introduction of it. And I don't know, 
I feel I played three more than I played four for some reason. I think, again, it's just... For me, it was when they started like balancing in the systems right, and it felt like there was more of like a tail in it. Like you had to try and save this little village, and it felt I felt more invested in it than I did with any of the other ones that I played previously. And maybe it is just because like I had the experience where I could play it on like a big screen. I don't know. You could do that previously with one and two on PS2, but I don't know. I never really played it properly then. I just I don't know. It, it was just something about three. I think it was the, the time there where it really clicked with me when I was playing it. I just really, really enjoyed enjoyed the game. Like I, 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 I can, started. I can definitely up. understand that because I really, really wanted to like Monster Hunter. I love the idea of just the whole game just centering around going to fight giant monsters because that sounds amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And I tried with Freedom Hunter. Well, I tried with Monster Hunter Freedom Unite on the PSP mm-hmm. back when I was in university. I just couldn't do it. The controls were too difficult. I That's tried so- Monster Hunter 3, but mm-hmm. I hated the water combat. I hated it. And it was far yeah. too much of it. But then Monster Hunter 4 was like this, like everything clicked. And, I, and then yeah. I really just, as you said, like with 3 started to enjoy the game just like really enjoy it and finally get why everyone enjoys this like why everyone who enjoys this series um enjoys it so much yeah i think for me for some reason it was three and by the time four had come around like i'd i'd still played four a ton but i'd played three that much that i kind of like and i was still playing it up until the point that four came out and I, i kind of felt a bit like lethargic towards the series at that point I, find, I kind of felt like I'd like burnt myself out with it I'd played so much of three that I wasn't really enjoying four as much as I should so okay. I've, yeah I've kind of like left it on the shelf for now and I'm going to go back because that's the reason I've not got generations yet either because I want to go back and have a good crack at four and play it as much as I can but I want to make sure that like I've not played Monster Hunter for a good amount of time so I actually enjoy playing it because I burnt myself out with three entirely that's fair enough. Well, yeah. when you're ready, Generations is waiting for you, and it's very, very good. So it's cool. it's worth picking up eventually when you're on tour and you have all the time in the world, and you and you're not allowed to use the TV because the guys are playing FIFA. Yeah, Generations is <laughs> Generations is a good idea. Definitely. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to your next game now, then, and we're going back into the realm of JRPGs. Hey. <laughs> back into more traditional stuff um, yeah. and it's the last JRPG it's not the last Japanese game but yeah. it's the last JRPG genre game so let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive right into the penultimate game So your second to last game today, Matt, 
is a game in the very long-standing and very popular Tales series, long-running uh, Japanese RPG series that maybe doesn't get as much credit as people give it. It's been around for an incredible long time now, this series. Yeah. Um, it's developed by Namco, uh, specifically the, the Tales studio as well. Um, this is maybe regarded as the best in the series. Um, maybe. For me, personally, it is. It's, it's kind of hit and miss. I think with this series, it's always the first one you play is the one that is okay. normally the favorite of somebody that plays it. Well, this is the second one I played, and I think it's the best one. And the other, the first one I played is considered also to be one of the best. The first one I played was Tales of Symphonia, which is regarded as one of the best. But the one you've chosen to take with you today is the one that was on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 a little later. This one released in Europe in 2009. It's Tales of Asperia. Mm-hmm. A... I- Brilliant game by any margin, really, for me. Just because, I don't know, I remember it coming out, and I remember missing buying it, and I didn't play it for ages because I was not paying the resale price on it because it was insane. Like, the amount of money that the game would go for secondhand was just ridiculous. So I skipped on it for ages, and then it came into work when I worked at Game Once. It finally came in at a good price. I bought it, took it home. This didn't work. So I nearly smashed it. <laughs> took it back to work, disc cleaned it over and over again. Couldn't get it working. And then that week, they released it on a Xbox Live for 20 quid, just a oh. digital version. So I was like, yeah, doing it straight away. Picked it up and got hooked from the very beginning because it's, again, another another action combat-based one. Like much of the series, well, say much of the series, basically all the series is. All Tales games, it's kind of like... It's yeah, the, 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 what is it they call it? Like the linear motion battle system oh, or something? Like they're very... Insane. They've got a new name for it every time they release a new game. And I've <laughs> stopped caring about the name of it now just because I can't even remember on Tales of Zesteria, the newest one, they had some ridiculous name for it. I couldn't even remember. It's like some link motion linear battle co-op <laughs> system. It's like, oh, whatever, who cares? But yeah, it's the uh, so it's the it's it's all like action combat. Once you actually get into the game, uh, into the battles, sorry, and I don't know, like you're using your certain arts and stuff, and it's it's one of them. It's very like it's out of all the games on this list, I feel it's the most it's the most Japanese, as as daft as that sounds. Like it's it it will probably appeal to the least amount of people, just because like some of it is very like very like. Not gimmicky. What, what, it's, what's it's, the... I know what you mean. It's born down like in very traditional Japanese RPG tropes. Yeah. Like yeah, it's exactly. it can be quite repetitive. It can be a bit flat sometimes. The mm-hmm. the world is maybe not as interesting as like like Western developers who try and fill everything with detail and that kind of thing. It's yeah. it's very much more a sort of here's a template world we build upon it and then we mm-hmm. add some very generic characters in it with a really good battle system. Oh well, generic characters minus one. There's a dog that talks with a with a pipe. With a smoking pipe, yeah. He is sick. I've got a big cushion of him on my bed. He's amazing. He's <laughs> my favorite character out of the Tales series. He's great. But um, yeah, for me, it was the first one that I ever. I played the uh, what's the original one on the uh, Super Nintendo called Tales of. Oh, I can't think. I played the original Super Nintendo one like on an emulator years ago, just because I was looking through some lists and it was meant to be really, really like. 
Uh, the the oh uh, sorry, I just remembered. Uh, Tales of uh, Fantasia was the first one. That's the first one. Yeah, I played like the, a bit of that, and I liked the the idea of it. And then I kind of laid off of it for a while, and I'd seen like Symphonia. It was out on the it was out on the GameCube, wasn't it? And then they did Tales of the Abyss, which never came out in the as far as I'm aware, it didn't come out in Europe till the 3DS release. No, yeah, uh, the 3DS version was the release for that yeah. one. Yeah, and then I kind of just like. I'd, I'd never really played it. And then when that one came along, I thought like, oh, I've never really given the series a good go. And I, I don't know, I really liked combating it more than anything. And although the story was convoluted in parts, I just loved that, like the length of it. It felt like a meaty game, but the combat was the thing that drew me in a lot. Like I enjoyed getting into random encounters in it, which is kind of rare sometimes in the JRPG where sometimes you feel like, oh, I've been doing this for hours. I kind of just want to slog through it and get past it now. But I don't know, like... It, it, it hooked me, like. But the only problem is now, every time I play a Tales game, it's like, it's just it's literally the same thing. Like, there's nothing that's keeping me. Here. There's nothing new. Like, the characters aren't as interesting as Vesperia was. I don't know. The story was just was good enough to keep me hooked all the way through. But it was the combat that kept me coming back over and over and over again, playing it over and over again. And I think what I liked about it as well is it had been a long time since there was like a traditional overworld map, like the one that you'd see in. Um, like a Final Fantasy or something where you'd just you'd you'd be on like in the overworld and you could go from like a tiny little town all the way across the map to another town and then you eventually get like you're flying uh, the ability to fly around the map on like a certain like character. I don't know, I just really, it felt very traditional and it had been a while since I played one like that in certain aspects. But then the, the action combat like kind of kept it up to date and interesting for me when I was playing it. And like I say again, it was the very first one that I played in the series properly and got hooked. <laughs> That's quite incredible because I remember when Vesperia came out and a friend of mine, um, he was he was like, oh, we have to play this game. We have to play this game. I was like, why? Why? Like He was like, oh, it's a new Tales game. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember I played Symphonia. And he was like, yeah, but this one is like going to have like these huge towns and all this sort of stuff. And it, it didn't really change anything much. No, but for, mean, some it's... Area, for some reason, Vesperia had something about it that was worth playing all the way through the cast of yeah. characters was pretty generic but maybe less so than previous games yeah i mean the, the battle system as well was a bit flawed towards the end because the uh i remember there's a the character who you can who is an archer and he has this move where he fires arrows into the air and it just heals everybody like fully <laughs> and you can just, if you're stuck on a battle at the end or one of the final battles, you just switch control to him, run away from all the enemies and just spam the heal over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I felt like a lot of the Tales games, the battle system is really exploitable in it. But I don't know, like like you were saying, there was something that, I don't know what it was and it's kind of hard to like pick it out, but there was just something that made me want to play it through to the end. Like, it's not the best story in the world. Yeah, it's kind no. of, fits a lot of tropes, but like, it's just good, like, it's just it's it's just fun and you kind of want to <laughs> it's hard, it is hard to describe there is just something about Vesperia that's very if you like JRPGs it's just very nice about it yeah. something something that like ah oh, yeah this is like almost every JRPG trope ever but done pretty well yeah, meaning like a, all of them added together creates this very safe but very fun JRPG yeah and like I don't know like I've played it loads of times now and I always go through it and. I don't know. Like I know what's the, I know the story. I know the story is not great, and I know it's a bit of a slog fest at times. But there's just something. It's just there's a certain charm to it that I really, really, really like. And I don't know. I don't know why. I don't. I can't really pick it out. But I think 
I like the main character. I like Yuri. Yuri Yuri's cool. Yuri's yeah. Cool. Yuri's cool. I like Rapide. And then I don't know. It's just it, it, Flynn is not. Flynn is an asshole. Yeah, Flynn can do one in all honesty. But yeah, it was just like. <laughs> Just fun. And the, uh, have you seen the uh, the film as well, the prequel to it? I have not. I have. Really I know cool. about it, but I haven't seen it. It's really, really good. Uh, the first strike it is. It's the. It just tells the tale of like why Finn like left like the royal uh, army. I think it is. But uh, not Flynn. Sorry, uh, Yuri. But it's really, really. It's worth a watch. I'll definitely check it out because the and another thing about the Tales games as well is the anime cutscenes for those games are always really well done and look yeah, really yeah, bloody nice. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's basically just an hour and a half long cutscene done by the same studio with a bit of a bigger <laughs> bits, but it's it's great. That's what I like about it as well. There's not enough games nowadays, like or JRPGs at least anyway, that do the anime cutscene stuff. It's a lot of CG stuff, or it's a lot of in-game like um, like cutscenes in between, and it's, it's kind of boring. Like you you see that anyway throughout the game constantly. You're looking at the same character models walking through the same areas and stuff. So to have a break from it. And to make the characters look more alive rather than the static 3D model, which doesn't really have that much animation outside of battle, yeah. and seeing them these like crazy things in like actual anime cutscenes, like keeps the pace of the game going as well, which I really like. So with the Tail series, it's still going on now. The Tail series, yeah. obviously, we had Zestrio like last year come out, and before mm-hmm. that was Exilia and Exilia Two, and mm-hmm. then we had Tales of Graces F. So there's been, in a very short space of time, a lot of Tales games. And this month, in fact, in Japan, a new Tales game called Tales of Basiria is being released as well, which is going to come out next year in the West. Is it, is it still something you get excited about a little bit now and again? Or Yeah, it's one of those ones. It's like comfort food. Like, I know what it is. I know what's going to happen. It's probably going to taste exactly the same as the last time I had it, but I'll go and buy it and I'll eat it every time. But, like, it's it's the same with Tales. Like, I'll just, like game comes out i may not have the best time in the world i enjoy it i'll just sit down and play it just because i don't know like it's just fun it's like just safe bets essentially it's just like it's it's never going to be groundbreaking or anything but it's always just like it's just enjoyable to play through one of them fantastic except except zesteria zesteria wasn't very good i didn't enjoy that one at all zesteria is the the latest one that has like the for some reason you can like combine two characters together to be like an ultimate character or something yeah I mean, but it, it goes from being like an ultimate ability to something that just gets used all the time, which is kind of a bit stupid. Ah, and one the, of those. Yeah, the travel system's not good in it. There's no, like, I prefer like a Tales game with an overworld and the, I don't know, it's just like save point things. And there's certain parts of the game where you're completely blocked out of going out and doing any side quests for hours. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't really, it doesn't really feel open. It felt like I was just being pushed down a certain path uh, rather than me deciding to decide now i want to spend my time within the game because i debated for a long time about picking that up on playstation 4 and every time it came on sale on the psn i'd be like nah 15 quid do i do i Mm, i haven't so far and maybe i maybe i'll avoid maybe i'll avoid maybe it goes like dirt 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 cheap pick it up but like i would shout and buy it yeah i've got a lot i've got a big back catalog so it's not it's not a huge miss well anyway we're going to move on to your final game now. The last mm. game you're taking with you to the Golden Saucer. And it is a Japanese game. But yes. not really. Like <laughs> It's created yes, by that, one of the greatest Japanese creators of all time. But it's not a very Japanese game. Uh, no. It's a very, very... His game. <laughs> yeah, it's just so, <laughs> so we're going to talk about your final game now. So let's listen to some music and dive straight into it. 
the final game that you're taking with you today then, Matt, to the Golden Saucer from Final Fantasy VII to ride some Chocobos for a while between playing Divine Divinity and finishing that single player and grinding all those quests in Monster Hunter 3. Uh, this is the last game you're going to be playing. And it's the open world action-adventure stealth video game developed by Kojima Productions and directed by the one and only Hideo Kojima. It's yeah. the final game he made at Ko- Konami. Um, it's the excellent Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. Yeah. I don't know why it, res- it, it just clicked with me more so than any other Metal Gear game ever has. I played I played all of them and 5 was just is just the it's the swan song for the series. It's just it's everything about it. I think the the fact that it's the first like open world stealth game that I've played where it just it, it feels like you you're in the midst of it like it feels like you can optionally not kill anybody and get away with like hiding in a, like a bin or something like that and not get caught. It just I don't know. <laughs> It felt like it was the first time I'd ever played one, like an open world stealth game, that it just like clicked and it felt like fun rather than like I was on edge. Like I felt like I could get out of any situation just because there were so many options available to me if I was spotted. I don't know. And it's just that the story in it is great, regardless of what people say. And it's like, oh, like it's not finished, bloody, bloody, blah. It's like, nah, it's, it's good start to end. And, the, the side quests on it, like, oh my God, you'd be there for hours. I've there played so it for like, many, yeah. I'm on like 75 hours now and I finished the campaign at 30. It's just crazy. There's just so much stuff to do. <laughs> A friend of mine recently, well, not recently, but not that, not too long ago, finished it 100% and it was something like 210 hours it took him well, to finish everything. One of, one of my mates just platinumed it and I was like, you are an absolute nutcase. I don't understand how you've done that. Like, Every single trophy, everything is just insane. I don't know how anyone has the time for it. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. It was my, it's my favorite Metal Gear. Like, I feel like it controls the best out of all of them. I don't feel like because it in some of the old ones, the best, yeah. yeah, in some of the older ones, I felt like I was fighting more against the control scheme than I was the actual like enemies or the challenges in the game. I felt like it was just fiddly, and I don't know. It just felt more. Felt more action based, which is some people don't like, but I feel like it just lends itself better to like the, the environment that the game's set in and just the the overall like enjoyability of it really. So specifically then, like you are going to a deserted island. What about mm. like Malga Solid Five? Are you gonna be because you've obviously you finished the main campaign. There are a lot of side quests to do. Yeah. A lot of them are a bit annoying, like tank quests. I hated yeah. those. I hated those missions in this game. Smoke grenade on the floor, fault on the mountain. They never see you. (laughs) But like going to a deserted island then, what are you going to be doing in this game? This huge open world game, like with all these options, what is, what is the Matt West way of playing Metal Gear Solid 5? Dropping in with quiet because she's the best companion in the game. Or well, first off, if you finish the game, spoiler alert again, stick those fingers in your ears. She uh, does one at the end, doesn't she? Like she, she goes away. So, say we've just finished the game, all the side quests are open. First thing we have to do is go back and replay the quiet mission eight times, and um, <laughs> uh, and extract her eight times. Because if you do that, she comes back and you can use her again. So it kind of just ruins like the. Well, it doesn't ruin the continuity of it. it. Just means that you've played the game and you can still use her as a companion. So use quiet. And I would literally, I still do it now, I just drop in on the map and I just just run around and have fun and just take like 
command posts and things and just, just what, enjoy so playing. What is like the loadouts you're taking? Because obviously you, oh. you have so many options for different loadouts, but you are limited on each mission to take a certain loadout. So what are, are you taking like rocket punching fists and stuff like that? No, no minimal loadout. Tranquilizer. Um, Quiet's got a tranquilizer rifle. I've got a tranquilizing uh, silent sniper rifle. I've got the upgraded pistol, so it's got an unlimited um, suppressor on it. So you can use that however many times you want without suppressor breaking and just being as stealthy as possible and then just pinging everyone in the air one shot and then extracting them. <laughs> and I didn't play any of the game lethal, apart from like the couple of missions that you had to, like that that Metallic Archaea mission on the... Have you played it all yes. the way through? Yes. Oh, that Metallic Archaea mission on the fucking runway when you got to protect um, Code Talker, whatever yeah. his name is. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I was infuriated at it when you've got those skulls running at you from all angles. <laughs> I hate the skulls so much. You oh, know, me too. One of the first uh, time, well, not the first time you see them, but one, around the first time you see them, where you come out of like the sort of ancient ruins and then you have like a boss fight with them. Yeah. And you, you have like rocket launches and stuff. Oh, God. Most- I hated it. And, and most nervous boss fight I'd had in a very long time. Just, I mean, it, they kind of remind me of the, like, what were they in Metal Gear Solid 4? The, like, frog-like women ninja things. Oh, what are they called? Um, oh, I can't remember the name of them. It's like, is it the Beauty and the Beast core? Not them, but, like, not them specifically, but the 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 soldier type enemies that run at you when you're, like, at various parts of the game. They can, like, dodge bullets and stuff, and they... There's a bit in Metal Gear Solid 4 when you're on the final, like, submarine and they, like, yeah. climb over. Oh, I can't remember the name of them. I know exactly what you mean. But, yeah, that's that's what I liked about it, though. Like, they did the job. They instilled fear. Like, you were nervous to go up against them. Like, it was like, oh, my God, not these guys. Which is kind of good because, like, a lot of the time in games, like, you can kind of feel overpowered. Like, it felt like a challenge to get away from them and battle them, which I really, really enjoyed. So, with Metal Gear Solid 5, then, now being Kojima's final piece at Konami, and well, obviously his final part yeah. in the Metal Gear Solid franchise. Um, two things are going to happen now. Obviously, Kojima is going to do his own thing. We've seen Death Stranding, which is yeah. his new thing with Norman Reedus and that very incredibly cool trailer, but very strange. So yeah. obviously, there's up in air about what that's all going to be all about and stuff. And then obviously. Metal Gear is still Konami's and is still going. They are, of course, fucking it over and making a pachinko machine out of Metal Gear Solid 3. What everybody wanted. What everyone <laughs> wanted. Brand new, beautiful Metal Gear Solid 3 cutscenes in a pachinko machine. I am one of the lucky ones who could go play that if I wanted to, but I'm not going to because it's horrible to do that to a franchise such as Metal Gear. But where do you sort of see Metal Gear going with Konami then? And what about Kojima, like doing Death Stranding? Are you excited about that? I'm excited for anything Kojima produces. I love most games he's made. I love Boktai on the Game Boy Advance. I love uh, Zone of the Enders. Kojima with giant robots. What's not to like? I don't know. I'm it's just excited. Like anything, I I love PT, but I, I I won't play it. I'll watch people play it online. <laughs> in a room where people got lights on playing it. Too, too just, much. It's just too much. Oh, it's too much for me as well. Oh, when we were recording the last album. 
we had my PlayStation there and the PT demo was still available for download. And everyone was like, oh, download it, download it, we'll play it. And I was like, you can download it and play it, but I am not being in the room when you play it. I won't watch it there. I'll watch it like <laughs> in my own time. Watch someone do a Let's Play of it, but I can't like watch it properly. Like, no way. It's just too nerve wracking. But yeah, I don't know. It's just a, it, there's only one word for him. It's literally a genius. Like, he's just so clever like i was watching the e3 feed this year i was watching the um the bit beforehand where they had um like the live show and he came in did an interview and he had a t-shirt with ds on it and i was like he's that's gonna be something he's hinting at something like for later on here because he did it with, um, <laughs> he did it with a metal gear didn't he? he wore like a phantom pain shirt but it it said like underneath the phantom above the phantom pain it had like characters like the beginning of certain letters and then when you flip like some letters around or something it sped up metal Metal Gear Solid, yeah, he like did, yeah. he's a bugger. He knows what he's doing. It wouldn't even surprise me if he somehow turned this into a Metal Gear. Not that that'll happen, no way. But <laughs> <laughs> you mean yeah. like Death Stranding is like an anagram of what the final game is going to be, like the name or yeah. something? Yeah, like he's very clever like that. Like I feel that like the trailer he loves, reflects. He loves fucking with people. That's for sure. Yeah, great. It, it, we need more people like that because it's always a surprise when the game comes out because nothing's ever really revealed until you play it, which is a bit of a, a rarity nowadays because a lot of the time it's just like movie trailers as well you see all the good stuff before you've even played the bloody thing yeah I mean, kind, of kind of it was the same with the phantom pain obviously when it was first announced it was announced as the phantom pain and it was this new studio and all this definitely kojima hijinks kind of thing but then even then with ground zeros you know play ground zeros it's just a level with different missions in it yeah. it's very good but Okay, so what's this hinting at? And then I don't think anyone saw just how huge Metal Gear Solid Five was, and like how it was this, like when people say open world, and people are expecting, well, how's Kojima going to do it? Um, it basically just was a huge bit of landmass. It was so big. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, and the fact that it's not one huge bit of landmass, it's two. Like you've had like the Afghanistan, you have the Africa part, and it's just yeah, it's just so expansive and huge. And like my favorite part of the whole map in the in Metal Gear Five is the uh, the jungle part in um, South Africa when you go up to Code Talker's house. Oh my god, it's beautiful, it's amazing. And just like <laughs> all like the the undergrowth and everything when you're fighting the um, those snipers on the way up, which is an absolutely solid mission that got killed on loads, but I still <laughs> every second. But yeah, like it, it's just the. The way he designs games is he thinks of them completely differently to anybody else. It's not just like a game, is it? It's just like it feels as if, I don't know, he like cares about every single aspect and he wants to make sure that like for the, there's enough there for the casual player, but then at the same time there's enough there for someone who wants to invest hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into the game and still find stuff even like 300 hours into it, which is crazy. That's, that is definitely a Kojima. That yeah. is a way to describe Kojima's game for sure. I wow. wish just the developers cared as much as he did sometimes, but I mean, it's just, I don't know. I can't. I think, I, I think they care. I think it's just difficult. Kojima is in a very yeah. privileged position of being someone who has been in game as for as young as that man looks for as he, young as that man looks. He has been around for donkey's years. He's been around for a very, very long time in video games. Fifties. Yes, he is. Yeah. What secret formula is he drinking in the morning? Because I need four gallons of it delivered to my house right yeah, now. Yeah, Kojima's 52. He's a, he's in his 50s. He's been around for a long time, you know. the first... He looks younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was developing, like, for the MSX2 back in the day, and 
that Crazy. was like 1986 or something. Um, <laughs> obviously, then the Metal Gear NES version came out. He's been yeah. around since basically the birth of popular video games. And Which he's always been developing. And and he is sort of like, he's kind of like the first auteur in a, in a sense. He's yeah. in a very privileged position where people realize his way of making video games is very special. So it's worth like giving money. Well, Konami treated him like shit, but they did yeah. realize that they should put his name on the box and they should allow him a lot of money to make what he wants to make. Yeah. Wasn't there a bit of a fuss though? Because it's not actually on the box, is it, his name? Well, it was, but then they deleted it after he resigned. Yeah, it's crazy because my version of it doesn't say his name on the front at all, which kind of sucks. Doesn't even have the Kojima Productions logo on the front. Yeah, they they were like, yep, we're going to take all credit for this and Kojima can go fuck off and do whatever he wants with Sony. And they were just throwing a hissy fit, really. Just what like Japanese companies do. <laughs> but yeah. that is now sort of in the past. And Konami obviously are just destroying themselves internally and making pachinko machines and football games. And then Kojima has gone on to, you know, excite everyone in video games once again. Yeah, but, 100%. Matt, you're not going to see that because you're now about to be sent off and banished to a deserted island. Oh, no. I'm really sorry. But, you know, you're going to have great fun in the Golden Saucer. Yeah, I've got plenty of plenty of games. And when I get tired of these, I've got some slot machines to go on as well. So That's true. you got some chocobos to raise as well. Raise and race them. It'd be good. <laughs> it will be. But yeah. before I let you go, and I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been awesome thank having you, you here, man. Um, so before you go to the Golden Saucer, as always, I have to ask my guest then, if you were going to choose a console, any console in the world, you can only have one, including the back catalog. So when you think about this, you can include all the back catalog games if you could only have one console to take with you to the island what console would it be ps2 ps2 playstation 2 yeah even though i was late to it didn't get one for years i've cheated again because it plays ps1 games so you get all the ps1 games and you get the huge library of ps2 titles as well so i mean most of the games on this list Aside from Xenoblade, which unfortunately I won't be able to play, which breaks my heart, I'd have a wider choice and selection from the PS2, so I'll pick the PS2. Excellent. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been well. it's been so awesome talking to you. We've spoken a lot. Obviously, I've been trying. We've been trying to arrange this episode for ages, even since I yeah. started this show. When I told you, "Hey, dude, I'm starting this new podcast," like, and you were yeah. like, "That sounds amazing!" Like video games, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, but it's never lined up. But today the stars have aligned, and here we are. We are now. You've got Very games. Apart from being sent to a deserted island, you have a month of time off before touring. How about yes. you tell everyone what the hell you're doing, what they should be checking out, and what the hell Neck Deep are doing in the future? What are we doing? We are at the end of well, beginning of September. Sorry, we're going out on tour with. Pierce the Veil and I Prevail. That sounds like a bit of a tongue twister, that. Uh, in the US, we're doing a full US event for a month. And then we've, we've got some other stuff planned, which I can't say about yet because it's not been announced. But Ooh. yeah, don't worry. We are coming to a town near you soon. And we're just <laughs> writing it. Yeah, we're writing a new album. So look out for that. We're still like in the writing stages of it. But yeah, 
get excited. Yeah, still here. it's all happening. It's all happening on the neck deep front, isn't it? Go, it's yeah. been always busy. It's been non-stop for like three years now. Borderline four now, I think. It's just been absolutely. God, it makes me been... feel even older. <laughs> me too. But yeah, I'm the oldest one in the band as well. Like I think Danny's, <laughs> Danny's only 21 at the minute. And it's weird because. Uh, for anyone who knows, Danny is the drummer for Neck Deep. He was in a band with my brother before Neck Deep started. And that doesn't even seem that long ago. No, which is crazy. But uh, he's the little baby and I'm the old granddad in the corner just sat there. <laughs> playing, playing, his, playing his Game Boy in the corner. Yeah. Uh, granddad just sat at the back being miserable. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt. Thank you so much for coming out today. And thank you for listening to this show. And once again, joining us for the 28th episode of the show. It's great for you to listen. Um, If you enjoyed the show, you can find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud as well. You can follow and rate and review. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on Twitter at Final Games Show. And you can also follow me at Liam BME. And if you want to email the show as well, as always, you can email finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. It'd be excellent to hear from you. Uh, Matt, as well, give them your Twitter so they can bother you on there if they have any questions about JRPGs. If you didn't like my opinions on games, uh, tweet hate mail to me at mattwest360 on twitter <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get loads of tales is tales is great and you picked the wrong yeah. tales game uh, or monster hunter one is the one that i'm gonna get the most oh flat. that's true what are you talking what? about the water quest <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so matt it's been excellent so thank you so much for coming on and thank you, you for well. listening and we'll see you again next week goodbye bye-bye <laughs>
two, one. There we go. Oh, oh my God. Check that wall. There's going to be a hole in it. <laughs>